welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Ruark, joined once again by our panel. Say hello, panel. Hello. Hello, hello. panel. Joining us today, we've got David. Forgive me. At some point, asshole became a substitute for charm. <laughs> Speaking of, <laughs> we've got Greg. Yeah, wow. There. How am I supposed to follow up that? <laughs> I don't know, but that's Siobhan trying to follow it up. Hey, everybody. And Samaria. Hey, guys. Welcome to the crazy. <laughs> if you haven't been watching Picard Season 3, it has some of the best one-liners in Star Trek history, in my opinion. Oh, oh, uh, uh, Riker. Riker yeah, huh? is, is boning. Yeah. Oh, my God. I... I have a deep love of Riker anyway, but Jonathan Frakes is just bringing it this season. Oh man, and, it's and so good. I, I want to see Riker's years on the Titan as a series now. It, it just needs to happen. It's, it's, especially it's, if he plays it off just like the Lower Decks version of Riker exactly, on the Titan. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, judging by the Picard Riker, that's exactly what was going on in those yeah, years. Yeah, more or less, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but uh, this isn't <laughs> this isn't watch party Star Trek. This is watch party Wheel of Time. Uh, let's uh, we are doing. We're already out of control. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> oh, we are all punchy. Yeah. It, it's been a week. It's really oh, been a week. Yes, yes. All right. Uh, so we are doing our Redux episodes, watching the the original season all over again. Now that you guys have a little more info under your belts, Redux. Uh, we to. Yes, today we are doing episode four, The Dragon Reborn. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Who do we think that they're referring to in this title? Oh, uh, well. You know, I still think it's Logan. I, I agree. Mm-hmm. I think I, it's irony or yeah. sarcasm or something. That's that's the, the title that he has claimed for himself. So, yeah. yeah. But then at the end of the episode, he kind of immediately is, is oh, more brilliant than the sun. Yeah, he had a fangirl moment. It, he yeah. was standing hard. Yeah. And, yeah and, so so it, it may have been a title that was supposed to shift and, and throw you all completely off, I think. Worked for me. I'm into it. And we're back. Uh, we had a technical difficulty there for a moment. Uh, technical difficulty being Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Te- technically, my technically my kid. Uh, just a word of advice: don't let your kid use your computer as a gaming computer. Not when you've got other Which stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, where were we? <laughs> we were talking about the title. That's right. The title, uh, and I think we we. Kind of, you know what? Screw the title. We're moving on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're at the cold <laughs> open. Uh, and this is uh, Loghain and Galden. Um, and so we've got sexy Jesus, and he's con- convincing the king of Galden to follow him. And uh, he says the dragon is just as likely to save the world as to break it. The last break it, dragon broke the world. I intend to bind it. So we've, we've talked before about all the Western imagery that gets used in the filming. And I really saw it there when, you know, Loghain comes out of the dust and the smoke of battle with his long coat and he's in slow motion. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's <laughs> very much a Western trope. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a man with no name stuff. Right it's there. just so evocative. Now, I paid close attention to um, Loghain's madness in this one. And I don't, know if i pulled anything out of it specifically but 
one of the things I noticed was that there's a very male voice and a very female voice in that. And I, I think that we were supposed to be led to believe that that was past dragons talking to him as he believes that he's the dragon. And then now that we know that he's not the dragon reborn, it's interesting to understand where that comes from with him. And if that's like a voice from his past or, or what's going on with that. You put it so much more eloquently because in my notes, I said, who the fuck is Alusha? Gotta love closed caption. I didn't pay attention to like the, uh, the identifiers, the mod, like, or whatever they're called. Um, so, you know, this time, knowing what I know about Loghain and the dragon and what happens to these characters as we go on, you know, I got to pay attention to little details like that. And I was like, no, wait, who's Alusha? And then my second thought was, well, then who taught you how to channel? Because even for as powerful as you are, you have a freakish amount of control. So, like, are you self-taught? Is there, like... Is there a cabal of secret channelers by any chance out there? Well, that's interesting because (laughs) one of the other things that I caught in this is Elusha or the other one, I don't remember which, mentions his family betraying him. They they will betray you Mm. like I know it mentioned his sister and I don't remember who the other person was. Um but it seemed to me that I think what happened is he was practicing it at home and they knew about it. And eventually they betrayed him to the Aes Sedai, but I guess he was able to escape that and, and get on the run. Or possibly he was powerful enough at that point to overpower whoever came to, to talk to him about it. Um, and we wouldn't have known that at this point because we don't get the story about how the Aes Sedai chased down the folks that Gentle... And the way that the townspeople turn you in or your own family turns you in or whatever the case may be until later in this episode and then also later in the series. Yeah. And I I went through watching this with the X-ray feature on and uh, Alusha has a last name. Alusha Salid, played by Rebecca Tanwin. Ooh. She's got a credit. Uh, so she's coming back. Yeah. So it's like, okay, this is somebody that's going to be popping up later. Well, I guess maybe we should uh, keep an eye out for that name in the future. Yes, we should. A little more background on Loghain. Um, I don't think uh, this has been touched on anywhere. He was a minor Gildenin, Gildenin, Gildenian. Yeah, he he was a minor Gildenian noble. Um, from a, a minor noble family with with a little bit of land and you know some mines apparently yeah yeah he 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 comes from a little bit of money not you know he's not super noble money but he's not in the poor poorhouse money he's 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 been comfortable his whole life so that's you can see it in his clothes he, he's got that regal ish not regal but at least you know noble. Bearing. And and he, he very much speaks like someone who is used to people doing what he tells them to. That also makes me wonder, he has a lot of people following him. Mm-hmm. Do you think he's really convinced them that he is in fact the dragon? Or do you think maybe that's another manifestation of his power? I mm. think it's 
a little bit he's convinced them, or at least he's convinced enough of them. I think he's really that naturally charismatic. So I don't necessarily think it's all power. I mean, obviously it is, you know, and especially like everybody in this world knows that there's a situation coming, whether they know what it is or not. And so if you can manage to get under the umbrella, under the cover, the protection of somebody who clearly can fight their way through something you're going to, and also, he's just, he really just has that aura about him, like, with or without the channeling. He, you know, we say he has a noble bearing, and that's true. But I think some people are just naturally attractive. Like, he's a cult leader, and mm-hmm. you kind of have to be born into that that profile, yeah. or it's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cult <laughs> um, personality at the very least. Yeah. 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 I was going to say, he's like, like, he's got that Bill Clinton charisma where... You know, yeah. people just talk about when you're in the same room as Bill Clinton, like you, you feel like you're at the center of the universe because he actually focuses on you and, and right. you feel heard and you feel like he has engaged you. And, and, yeah. you know, just people who meet Bill Clinton just always say there's just this weird aura around him. And, and, you know, it's cause and, he's a Leo, but we don't have to get into it. <laughs> Well, I mean, one of the things one of the things is that, you know, he uses the power to, you know, overtake the 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 king of Gelden. And he doesn't have to do that with everybody. Just in like the 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 really hard cases, yeah. that's when he's got to turn on that extra little bit of charm to make it happen. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you, you, you know, the way you just said that, it actually kind of reminds me of Negan in a way. Oh. Like I, I have the power to do this violence, but I'm not gonna. So I was going to say is it, that fear in the back of your yeah. mind, in addition to that charisma is what really drives it forward. Yeah. yeah. There you go. And, and if he's also, if he's focusing on rulers and leaders, they're going to bring their people. So like yeah. he converts yep. the King of Galden, all yep. of the, Gailden soldiers are now at his disposal because right. that's her job, right? Doesn't have to convince everybody, just exactly, just the person in charge. <laughs> that's that's how the Pope operates. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're not wrong. Oh, I, I'm loving that the, the anti papist uh, rhetoric <laughs> happening here. Uh, <laughs> so, our first scene we've got uh, the Aes Sedai camp, um, and uh. Uh, Karini heals Moraine. Uh, Karene, I, I, Karene. That's how <laughs> they say it in the show. Karene. Yeah. Okay. Uh, heals Moraine, uh, and they go then to talk to Alana and Leandrin, um, where they say he's already mad and he's proclaimed himself dragon. Um, and Moraine says she's going to help them and uh, takes her her turn in the the, the rotation and uh, Leandrin of course has to make a snide remark about that and says oh that's Moraine she's selfless to a fault <laughs> uh, what do we think about uh, our, our intro to the interactions of the Aes Sedai here so one thing that I saw is that when Karene had finished healing Moraine she still had a very obvious wound mark like she's had a scar um mm. so i'm i assumed that that is the difference between healing from a non-yellow 
and healing from a yellow. Because there was yeah. also uh, an incident later where one of the reds takes a couple of arrows and you can see that one of her sisters is healing her. So so they all can heal. That is within their skill. And they can all fight. It's within their skill set. But a yellow would do it without leaving a mark. Yeah. It's like the difference between a surgeon and a field medic. Yeah, I figured that just might be a standard issue thing you can do with the one power. But you can hone it or not. It's up to you. It's also possible that her weakened state meant that she couldn't heal it completely, or also that because it was a trollic wound, it wouldn't heal in the same way. There's a couple of other explanations as well that went through my mind. Anything else? Anything with uh, their their conversation inside the cave around Loghain? Oh, it, it really shows, before we even get to the, the inner workings of the White Tower, the the rivalry and the uh there's like a rivalry a camaraderie among not only the different uh you know the, the different people but also the different uh the the different uh ajas yeah there's cooperation you know they're they're going to cooperate it's they 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 all have one singular mission but um you know personalities are going to are going to get in there. Yeah, I noticed that there are no blues. And so, so until Moraine shows up, it's just like red and green. Yeah. Um, it's a combat and, operation until the CIA shows up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like there's probably, there's probably a natural camaraderie between different Aja factions. Um, and then the blue shows up and it's like, you know, when the teacher shows up and just completely alters the dynamic of the classroom that was having a good time and until then um even if the teacher's cool but you're like oh okay now fun's over yeah it, it's almost like going back to like starship troopers when you know the when neil patrick harris shows up as sort of the military intelligence <laughs> it just kind of changes the dynamic even though they've got this personal dynamic between them with the main characters but yeah Okay, so now I just have running through my head Neil Patrick Harris playing Moraine, and and I can't unsee this now. <laughs> In the long German style uh, uh, leather trench coat, <laughs> red a red leather trench coat. <laughs> oh, it'd be, it'd be blue. It'd be, it'd blue. be blue leather. Yeah, they shipped yeah. it to blue leather. Um, <laughs> I'd watch that. Yeah, I, uh, uh, SNL. Let's get on this. Come on. Oh yeah, yeah. You can see the the rough interaction between the Ajas for sure. Like uh, the red Aja and the green Aja definitely clash with each other, except for some reason around December. Then then they seem to go together really well. I don't understand. It. <laughs> it's Mariah Carey. That's what brings them all together. Oh right. <laughs> so what Aja is Mariah Carey then? Ooh, black. Yeah, definitely black. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't exist. Oh, so uh, <laughs> we're already off the rails. Oh, we are. Man. We are way off the rails here. Uh, so <laughs> moving on, uh, we have Lan and Steppen, and they're they're gossiping. Uh, I I loved the the first time that we went through this, pointing out how. They're kind of taking the typical feminine role or the servant role of gossiping behind the back, and mm -hmm. and the Aes Sedai are kind of taking the typical cool political role that that 
you know, the, the men in charge are supposed to take in, in a typical patriarchal society. And, and I, I, I don't know. I just, I love that. Anyway, um, upstairs, downstairs, role reversal. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of the, uh, um, Downton Abbey. Um, Downton Abbey. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Kind of that, that whole feel to it. Um, Anyway, Stepan is telling Lan, yeah, the Amerlin, uh, she's she's wanting y'all back. She wants to know what the fuck's up. And we get uh, Karine, Karene and Stepan, uh, they they get together and they bitch about Lan and Moraine and how cool and, and untalkative they both are. Um, and then they <laughs> turn around and bitch about the Reds and talk about how uh, Leandrins keep, keeps trying to you know, get them to, oops, we had to gentle him. Wink, yeah. wink. Wink, wink, not much. Karene smacks that shit down. <laughs> Stepan's comment about the Amerlin wanting Moraine back means a whole lot different when you know what their actual relationship is. Yeah. That it's yeah. not as much about the politics necessarily. Right. It's not that you're in trouble, yeah. Moraine's in trouble, it's... Yeah, there might be there might be a political reason why she needs to see Moraine that everybody thinks is a bad thing, and that is the perfect cover to mm -hmm. have her come in to do whatever they want to do. It's <laughs> exactly. amazing, like, just how much this seems to be common knowledge, you know? Oh, yeah, Amarillin's seat. And Moraine, they got beef, and it's and it goes back years, and they can't stand each other, and it, you know, they've been at each other's throats, and it's been Cold War season for 20, 30, 40 years. I'm kind of fascinated by the idea that this is how they get almost like coded messages back and forth. You just send it through the gossip vine. And you know mm. that if Moraine <laughs> oh, encounters any other Aes Sedai with warders, the message will get to her. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We know, we know the Emerald has a warder. <laughs> I, you didn't just blow my mind. I think you may have blown the minds of a lot of people in the fandom with that one. That was wow. Cause think about it. I need to talk yeah. to you. How do you how do you tell her? You you, you start a they start a message. Kept it a secret. I'm yeah, I'm thinking so. about dragging her back in here and making her explain herself, and that message gets to her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you've wow. got all these gossipy little you know warders just uh, <laughs> <laughs> just talking amongst themselves. And it, all your it's peers like treating you guys as free entertainment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then we shift over and we've got uh, Eggy and P Dog, um, and uh, Perrin. He's he doesn't trust the 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 Tuatha on that they've encountered. Um, you know, he's like, uh, I, I, they're vegans, man. You can't trust those people. They're 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 weird. <laughs> and 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 Egwene's like, hey, just because they don't eat meat doesn't mean they're weird. All right, as long as they don't like you know lay into you about it, it's not a big deal. You know? A lot of groans, but but no laughter on that one. That's... I live with a vegan. I ain't touching that one with yeah. a barge ball. <laughs> so 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 you're calling Perrin a veggie dog. 
Yeah, yeah. By, by, by the end of the or by the end of the next episode, he's he's definitely kind of turning into a veggie dog by that point. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and of course, Aram is is unbelievably charming. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Isla kind of takes Baron aside and explains the way of the leaf to him, which. I think resonates with just about everybody. If it doesn't resonate with somebody, I don't think I want to know that person, honestly. That that whole conversation hit a little bit different since rewatching the last episode where I actually see Perrin pull a knife on them, thinking that he's defending himself and Egwene. And now he's having an actual conversation with them and they're like, we don't even fight back when we're attacked. And yeah. and so like I know that Perrin already has all this huge guilt that he's dealing with around his about his wife's death, and now he's confronting the fact that he pulled a knife on people who won't even defend themselves, and it just sinks that little bit deeper into how much he wants that message right now. Like he really needs to hear that this is an option for him. And I know for me, like we were discovering the world so much that there was like looking for people who channel everywhere or reasons for weird things happening. And this time around, I was able to just listen to Isla, knowing Isla's being Isla and just Isla and the way of the leaf. And it was it was much softer. It was much nicer. There wasn't all of that overlay with it. And you get the interaction that Perrin has to what she's saying it's just so much more powerful the second time around. Yeah, you once you get to know them, you realize Isla is exactly what she presents herself as. She, there's there's no guile, no no two facing anything there. She is completely laid bare. And and if she's perceiving something, it's not because she's got this magical thing helping her perceive something. It's because she's just she's so in touch with the earth and and the people around her that yeah. she perceives them. Yeah, she's just a naturally empathetic person. Um, then we switch over, and we are with uh, Matt and Randall again. And uh, they are on their way through the forest with Tom. And uh, Matt's whore. Randall. You know, Randall <laughs> Thor. Oh, Randall uh, Thor. I thought, we were, I thought it switched to clerks or something. Is it Randall Dante <laughs> over here. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, Matt could be Dante. I, I could see this. Clerks with yeah. Brandon, Matt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We need a clerks I with Brandon, Matt. I was supposed Get on to it. be here today. <laughs> 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 hey, SNL, come on. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Has anybody seen the rails? I, I don't even know where the rails are anymore. <laughs> no, I, I, no, I don't think we had any in the first place. Actually, oh. we're uh, we're in Tuathawan carts creating ruts now. Oh, oh yeah, that's what it is. We're not on rails anymore. <laughs> we're off the rails into the ruts. There we go. <laughs> Here's your tagline for the ti- the title for the episode: <laughs> Off the rails and into, the, into ruts. the ruts. Uh, so uh, Matt and Randall. Uh, they are on their way through the forest with Tom. Uh, Matt's horse shies back, as I said. And uh, he talks to Randall, and he's like, yo, Tom is kind of sus. Um, yeah. And uh, Rand's like, but he saved our lives. And Matt's like, but did he? 
Rand's like, well, I don't know. Maybe not. They kind of have a little talk. Yeah, we're in a horror movie now. Speaking of, like, knowing what genre you're in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Except for all, like, everybody knows it now, so that's nice. Yeah, Matt doesn't seem like the distrustful type, at least earlier on. So now I'm wondering if the the dagger corruption has brought some of that levels of distrust to the equation. Yeah, I, like, I, Matt, since when do you not like Tom? Like, I know you guys like had a bickering energy going on, but it's not like dislike, at least not at this point after all, you know, they already been through in that town. Yeah, I I would say at the end of that last episode, it was, you know, they had done that whole, like, thump their chests at each other, realized that they were really kind of the same and had a beer together and were friends after that kind of feeling, you know? Yeah. I I had put that whole interaction down to Rand's experience with Dana because he and Dana seemed to be really getting on. He was unloading a little bit on her and confiding in her and then all of around she turn all of a sudden she turns around and locks him in her and points a sword at him. Oh yeah. So now mm-hmm. he's like had a couple of minutes on or on horseback to process what happened and he's like, well maybe we really can't trust anybody. Who the fuck is this guy? So the uh the Grinwells show up and uh put the threat down on them and and Matt almost gets violent. Uh but Rand is is quicker on his feet and and talks everybody down, um, and that's when they discover they did not have any kind of upper hand on Mister Grinwell, and uh, they they talk and and the Grinwells finally agree. Yeah, they they have some stables that need mucking, so you muck them out and you can sleep in them. How does that sound? I, I was searching real hard to see if uh, Ma Grinwell actually had her fingertips on the bow instead of the fist, because that's the one that I could see actually wanting to uh, <laughs> actually being actually ready, wanting to shoot him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did notice that uh, uh, the the young younger Grinwell had a fist on the bow as well. Yep. I couldn't tell on her. I think she was a fist as well, but still, it's like I, I think she's the one that you have to worry about, not him. Definitely, yeah. definitely, yeah. <laughs> that could have gone so badly. You could see Tom kind of flick his coat back, like he's, you know, he's got a weapon there, ready to go. Yeah. And, uh, well, I'm, I'm not certain that. I feel like Tom saw Matt make a move and was going to try to stop Matt. Could be. Because yeah. I don't think Tom would be violent to somebody that he doesn't believe is going to be violent at him. And there's no way Tom felt in danger in, in that moment. Right. Hey, I get the impression that Tom knew what was going on all along and knew that you had bows strung, ready to go out in the away and just wasn't that concerned about it. Yeah. He, he's got this this calm to him and something that I had, I had mentioned in an earlier episode was that it it really seems like he's got water training that oh that, yeah uh yeah i mean you you don't just you, you don't get that good just being a troubadour in these kind of situations so there there's something <clears throat> there there's something in tom's backstory that uh points to the white tower for me i really think he's you know he's not necessarily a military guy because he's just you know, he's got this awareness that the warders seem to have. 
Yeah, especially in the scene where he's fighting the Fade. So, so we're definitely on the Tom is a, is a former warder train. I we've got to have somebody. I mean, we we passed up on the Tam one based on this. <laughs> <laughs> so now, now we got to find somebody else to be a former warder. <laughs> you're you're going to keep assigning every everybody who knows how to fight to be a former warder until you find one, aren't you? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> might, might as well. I mean, he's got the worldly knowledge to go with it. So he he fit in. Yeah, but I I really think that I don't know if he's still a warder, if he's undercover or something. I don't know. Undercover warder. Yeah, <laughs> underwater. He's underwater. <laughs> we also know uh, he spent some time in um, with the Aiel, so maybe mm-hmm. they taught him some shit. Who knows? Yeah. That's true. That's true. And we know they can scrap. Yeah. I'm. Yeah, I, I I just have this this sneaking suspicion. So we're laying bets, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and seeing how Rourke's about to change M's. the subject, then I think I'm something. That or we just need to move this along. Yeah, yeah. We're we're uh, <laughs> what forty minutes into a, an episode, and we're barely into the notes here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So we go back to uh, the cave with Loghain, um, and uh, uh, Moraine and Alana are are holding Loghain. And uh, they both talk about holding him like it's the first time either of them have actually experienced this. Like holding a cat in a bath. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> That's a great line. And then uh, Alana starts talking about, uh, remember that dog of yours back at back at the tower? And Maureen's like, oh, the pets weren't allowed in the tower. I didn't have a dog. I don't know what you're talking about. That was a stray. Good technique, but kind of sloppy. Uh, you know, if you're if you're going to pump me for info, you know, I mean, I, I get going back to our, our thing at the tower. But I mean, really. It, it, you could have just yeah. asked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then they uh, start talking about Loghain. They say... Uh, He's he's stronger than anything I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I I feel we're at the end of an age. Um, at which point Logain flexes, and and they both feel him flex. They they both have to bear down to to keep him from doing anything. He's showing off. Yeah, I do wonder, given that he picked that exact moment to push, whether or not he can hear them. Because um, at one point, one of the Aes Sedai who's holding him down says, we've stopped, stopped his ears. Leandrin said that, yeah. Yeah. But the timing of his him flexing is also... I very coincidental. remember it, them saying that he stuffed his own ears with weave. But I, I may have missed... No, no, he would not be able to do that because he, he cannot... Connect with the power. He is completely. Oh, shut that's off. right. Because they're 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 shielding shielding yeah. him completely. Yeah, I would say that you know standard practice would be to to keep their ears stopped with air so that they cannot hear anything. Um, but considering who's in the room, you know, if she's in charge of stopping the air in his ears, she might you know want to selectively. Oops, I forgot to put the air in and while he over can overhear this conversation that I'm having. I am um, upon watching, watching this again, I was like, Oh, he's meditating. 
Like, I think it's relevant if he can hear them or not. I think he's like very deep in himself testing, like trying to find different like chinks in their armor, trying to figure out how to like uncage himself, like gathering whatever like he needs to gather like if he can't access his power then like he's i guess playing mind games one way or another like i don't think he's actually dormant in there and you know them having to struggle to keep him leashed kind of fuels fuels my thoughts on that i think there's something to what rourke says though because moraine obviously wants to have a a moment alone with Logain to get information from him because we see that later in the episode. So it would stand to reason that it would help her to have him be able to hear what they're saying. Uh, so then we go back out to camp and we have a scene with uh, Leandrin who is being oily at Nynaeve and Nynaeve is Nynaeve back at Leandrin. Leandrin uh, tells Nynaeve a little bit and says, she's, well, Maureen, she's a blue and they're, they're spies. They're, they're horrible, horrible people that, you know, they're just nosy sticking their nose into everybody, everybody's business. But she's like, Reds, we're, we're like superheroes. We go out and we take care of the, the bad guys and, and the bad guys within the tower as well. We take care of all the bad guys. We're the superheroes. And uh, Lan shows up and Leandrin's like, ew, a boy, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got the impression that, um, so Nate, this whole conversation started and Nynaeve said, you'll answer questions first and then if I feel like it, I'll answer yours. And I got the impression that Leandrin did not get to ask too many questions. That yeah. Now you've kept her talking for the whole time. So I, I uh, was saying before we started recording, I rewatched this entire episode. My daughter was over, and so I watched it with her. And she watched Leandrin on the screen for all of like five minutes and says, I do not like this bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I have already picked out the character I do not like. <laughs> Message don't received. Like, don't trust. Yeah. She played that. Of course, role. she didn't get to see Valda in the last one. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> Such a nice gentleman. Wait a minute. What's he doing? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, so Lan uh, kind of backhandedly welcomes her over to the the warder's fire he's like you know you can come join us as long as you promise not to push anybody in <laughs> she makes me scream so much <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh i'm still so frustrated with with her he, still he he and she both flirt like little children in the schoolyard who don't know how to flirt and, and end up yeah. just like throwing dirt at each other or they're whatever. Just mad I was going to say bricks. They, they flirt with bricks. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I I was going to say like, there's actually two land jokes in this episode. And I think that's the most we've ever heard from him. <laughs> so there yeah. was that joke about not throwing people in the fire. And then afterwards he says something to Moraine about, you always get emotional when I drink. And it's like, yes. <laughs> it's like this is why I'm letting his hair down. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we, get, we get his first smile at the fire too. Yeah. When, uh, when she lets it out that she tracked him and Len tries to play it off, but can't. So he has to just smile at his friends. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, so then we shift back over to uh, Rand, Matt, and Tom, and uh, Matt complains about doing all the mucking and Tom being prissy, and Tom's like, hey, I had something else to offer. Don't don't get mad at me, farm boy. Then Matt runs off and uh, pukes up some Moshadar like you do, and then we see uh, the mom Matt come out when Helga shows up behind him. He, like, like the Moshadar immediately like sucks back in, which is really gross when you think about it. And uh, he he turns back into mom Matt and and has a little conversation with with Helga. Re regurgitation, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, There's some human centipede joke there that I don't want to get into. Body horror is not my thing. Yeah, (laughs) that was pretty nasty. The 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 way that he kind of tapped out while they were cleaning the stables for me, it kind of confirmed DW's theory that his cold was some of the physical effects of the dagger. Cause you can see him deteriorating over time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. And it's getting exponential. Like yeah. it, we, he's the longer we go, the worse he gets, the quicker, the worse he gets. Mm-hmm. It's deteriorating at increasingly epic speeds. Yeah, it's like an infection, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the cordyceps in The Last of Us, where it can, it it gradually takes over your body until it, get, you know, until it gets to the brain. So, depending on where you're bitten, how long it takes. So, yeah, it's the same kind of thing where it's like this, sort of this this parasitic uh, infection that that's kind of taking over Matt. Yeah, and it just, it again begs the question we brought up before, like, how is Pat and Fane able to to survive it and is it that because you know it's it affects that core that you have and matt has a good at his core and pat and fane doesn't so it doesn't mm-hmm. affect pat and fane in that way yeah. physically I, I don't know yeah like he's already rotten to the core so you know with the core rots it's like no big deal so we'd had a conversation where um the evil from Shadow Logoth is not it's it doesn't come from the Dark One. That they're they're two evil things, but they have different sources. And I wonder how much they're in opposition to each other. Um because Matt sees the fade in the shou- in the shadows. And I'm wondering if it's just like they're two bad things that are in opposition to each other as well as in opposition to the light. So when so if Padden Fane is a servant of the Dark One, he is therefore resistant to the the what is it the the, the name of the thing that's infecting Matt? Mashadar. Mashadar. So he uh Padden Fane is resistant to the Mashadar because he is a servant of the Dark One and Matt is able to identify a servant of the Dark One because the Mashadar is is in him. It's, so the first time we we talked about this, I had a theory that the Mashadar was created by the people who lived in the city as a defense that backfired. Mm. So I'm wondering if mm. that's what gives Padden Payne his immunity to it. Mm. And possibly. Or or maybe Padden Fane's corruption is stronger than the Moshadar corruption. So even if it tried to corrupt him, it would just be like, 
Okay, the whatever. One, the dark no, one's already sucked all the nutrients out of this particular um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> food source, it's so like there's no happen. point. I can I can live here, but I can't to eat here. Yeah, yeah. It's like what would happen if a uh, you know if a cancer cell somehow got in you know started developing into in Keith Richards, you know. Uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Keith. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, so anyway, uh, um, further into that, I want I was really interested in the fact that, as you were all saying, he's getting worse and worse and worse. But the thing that we see that makes him come back to himself is is the little girl, Helga. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got that, that core of, of, you know loving and wanting to protect children yeah you know he's mr rogers all of a sudden yeah yeah she i think she can tell that you know he's he's dealing with something and so she gives him brigitte her mm-hmm. her little doll mm-hmm. and she says uh brigitte watches over me when i sleep then we go back to tom and rand and tom tells the story of owen being gentle to you and and what happened with owen uh than taking his own life afterwards. One day he went sour. Yes. That was the line that kind of stuck out. Yeah, I wrote in my notes, I keep forgetting they don't know about the knife, so of course channeling is the obvious explanation here. Yes. Yeah. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, this happens after Rand channeled for the very first time. That's what I caught too, because yeah. I think the interaction there... Tom is talking about Matt, but you can see on Rand's face, Rand is thinking about himself the whole yeah. time that Tom is talking there. Yeah. And I didn't catch that before because we didn't understand the concept that Rand had already used the power at this point. Mm-hmm. Rand must have known at least a little bit or had yeah, a suspicion that it yeah. was there in himself. Yeah, he's like, Haha, don't worry about Matt. Matt's fine, guys. <laughs> yeah. There was some of that going on. Like, no, no, don't worry. <laughs> don't fine. ask me how I know, but yeah, yeah he's great. He's great. Uh, so we're back at camp, and uh, warders are sitting around the story. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Warders are sitting around the campfire telling the story of uh, Lan landing in a pig trough. <laughs> is is the punchline that we come in on. Um and Nynaeve is laughing and and you know en- enjoying the the company of the other warders. And Stepan turns to in turns to Nin and says, uh, how did you join uh Land's little party here, uh her village uh stuff? And Nin just says, I tracked him. Simple as that. And they, uh, they, oh, all the warders go, go nuts at that. Land. I like yeah. her. <laughs> <laughs> She's trouble. <laughs> um, so then they get into a little discussion about the, about the, the warder bond and Nynaeve gets a little pokey with her nose and, uh. You know, we, we get that little back and forth where she's wondering, do do they have a sexual connection or no? Or is that a standard issue thing? I, What's going on here? Um, like a shrug emoji. Yeah. 
And then we uh, see Maureen and Lan, and uh, he says, is, is he as strong as Egwene? And, and she says, maybe, I don't know. I haven't tried to shield Egwene. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> you know? uh, any, any new thoughts from this scene? Yeah, I was like, well, we'll find out. Mark that thought, Moraine, about Egwene yeah. being as powerful <laughs> as Egwene. Well, we will circle back to this. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> Len tells his second joke. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's, I say this every time I see them together, but I just love the relationship and how comfortable they are with each other. Yep. They, half of the conversation isn't even spoken out loud. You just see them kind of look at each other and nod. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're like, they're siblings, but they're married, and that sounds so gross. I'm so sorry, but, like, <laughs> I don't have any other words for it. Queer platonic? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's like platonic marriage something. It, it, like, it's not it, it's, always it's, platonic. It's, uh, what is it? It's that comfortable marriage between the gay guy and the the lesbian woman back in the 50s where they're just really 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 super close best friends but you yeah. know they're they're yeah. each other's cover yeah yeah partners right yeah just absolute partners yeah so then we're back with the Tuatha on and Aram is of course charming again at at Egwene. Uh Perrin is grumpy. He's not a he's um, not into the I rave scene. <laughs> yeah. He's like, come on, guys, it's like eight o'clock already. We should be getting ready for bed. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta wake up early and start the forge. His his married man is coming out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and this is when uh Aram explains the song to Egwene. She's like, Well, you know you guys know what this song is? He's like, no, that's why we're asking people for it. She's like, well, how do you know when you find it? And he said, well, it was supposed to bring, you know, peace and happiness to everybody who heard it. So when we find it, we'll know it. So they've apparently never been Rickrolled. <laughs> they haven't heard the song yet. <laughs> no, no, that is not the song. That is absolutely not the song. I, I liked that interaction between them. Um, much more the second time I saw it, actually, because the first time it just kind of went by and I didn't think anything about it. But the second time I was looking at Aram's face when Egwene said, are you so sure you haven't found it? And Aram looks around and he looks at the people in his life and he looks at everybody dancing and you kind of see him go, huh? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, if you live in this environment all of the time, you don't really realize, I think, how special it is to be in a group of people where there is no conflict and where you have this message of peace and mutual support. And we, we figure he's old enough that he's done his time in the outside world. He's had his rum so he yeah. knows So he knows what the alternative is. And then you kind of look around and go, yeah, maybe I don't appreciate these people as much as I should. Yeah. This is a way of life that you're not going to find anywhere else. I just thought it was kind of a, a cute little moment where he 
she kind of points out, yeah, this, you have something special here. You should appreciate it. I think it, it also kind of punctuated for him that he had been thinking about the song in far too literal of terms of you are literally going to have this song that literally creates peace in the world and everyone as a whole is going to experience that. But then Egwene kind of points out, no, you can have this be a metaphor for the fact that you personally and your community has actually found this piece. And the song doesn't necessarily mm -hmm. mean a literal song. It could be just the way of the leaf is the song. Mm -hmm. It's not It's not that the song is a piece of magic that will do this. It's a metaphor that the ex of the example that you set for the world. Um, and then we see uh, Perrin, of course, being the dad and going off and fixing stuff. Um, and uh, Isla gives him a, a little heart-tugging TED talk about the way of the leaf and, and letting go of anger and, and, and how much that will help. And Perrin... You can you can see Perrin wants to really wants to go that way, but feels like it would be the easy way out. I think is what's going through his head. He's torn. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think he thinks that that would be given up on his guilt. And at this point, he hadn't come to grips with what he's done. And if he just abandons that and goes straight for the way of the leaf, then he's giving something away. He's not dealing with that pain or that guilt that he's got stashed still. I also think there's a part of him that feels like he needs to be punished and way of the leaf for him is like avoiding accountability. It's not taking responsibility for his actions. He doesn't feel like he's, he would have, you know, made up for it if you can even make up for this kind of thing that was the if point he, i was trying to make but couldn't if he goes articulate i got Ac you. <laughs> actually that that point rolls right into the scene showing perrin fixing something at the beginning of the scene this is how perrin deals with stuff the thing is broken i have to fix it and just washing your hands of it is not fixing it in his right. opinion because it's himself how can he fix himself he has no idea. How can you bring your wife back right. that, you know, you accidentally killed? You can't. In trying to defend her. Wow, you you guys are making me see this all on a way deeper level than I had initially. <laughs> and that's why we're here. Um, that's why you're here. <laughs> um, so then we go back to uh, Rand and Matt. They're They're in the... The barn and Rand says he's there for Matt. Um, you know, bros till the end. Even if I am a channeler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even if I'm a channeler and you're going through whatever the hell you're going through, I don't know. So then Rand uh, goes off into his dream world again, um, where uh, Perrin is. I finally figured out what Perrin's doing in this scene. Uh, uh, Elsa's body is on his forge. Uh, across his anvil, and he is pounding her stomach with a hammer. Oh, yeah. Shmael is telling um, everybody secrets. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Matt is uh, bleeding from the hands, uh, almost stigmata-like. And Egwene is is wrapped up from behind by Flameface. 
and and uh you know that's that's Rand's dream he kind of screams himself awake at that point and he he finds out that Matt is gone and and goes to find him and of course finds him standing over the bodies of of the Grinwells in inside the farmhouse it's not what it um, looks like and that's when Matt says, I see you, and we see the fade for the first time. There's a brief second before you see the fade where I know that Tom thinks Matt did it. Mm-hmm. Rand doesn't know what's going on, I think, but Tom's like, grab yeah. him, we gotta go, we gotta well, run. If he already suspects he channels, right. then he suspects that the madness is coming, so yeah. Yeah. he knows that he's capable yeah. of that. So last week when we recorded... Um, I said Perrin was the only one who got a second dream because I had completely forgotten about this one. Um, So it was wrong, obviously. But I still think that um, Ishamayel is trying to poke at the people who who potentially show magic. So because Perrin got a dream because he's starting to do his thing with its connection to the wolves. Mm -hmm. And I think Rand got this dream because he actually did do some minor channeling. So um, Ishamayel is kind of like reaching out to them as they show signs that it might be them. Right. And the thing I noticed about this dream is that he's showing Rand things that are secrets. Like he shows the scene with Perrin, you know, killing Layla. And then he shows Rand, uh, like, Matt's hands bleeding as if to imply that he is the person who who is killing. And it's almost like he's trying to influence Rand away from his friends. Like, they have secrets that they're not showing you. I will show you. And that there's an ultimate threat to, to Egwene as well. See, I thought that one interesting that he shows himself grabbing Egwene, because in the final confrontation between Rand and Ishamayel, he pretty much offers to give Egwene to Rand. Like, I can, I can give you a version of Egwene that does everything you say. Like, she's an object in this interaction. Yeah. I can take her away from you, or I can give her to you. What do we think about the interaction between Matt and the Fade here? Well, one thing is you do see a little bit of the darkness, like going back into his mouth, right as yeah, right as they, right as uh, Matt, or sorry, <clears throat> right as Rand and uh, and Tom show up. So it, that is allowing him to to detect the fade. It seems like you know it's going in, and he, you think that's now what I it see is. you now, you know now. You know, you're up there in the rafters, and yeah. I got you. It, it's evil senses evil kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Who do we think did the actual slaughter? That's a good question. I'm convinced it was the fade. I mean, they kill people just, you know, for being there. Right. Something just clicked together for me. We see Helga Grinwell's body outside mm-hmm. after they leave the cabin. The fade started the slaughter in the cabin. Helga was able to run outside. The Fade followed her outside. Matt heard Helga screaming, and of course, Matt being Matt, Mm -hmm. 
goes to help. Sprung into action. And then the fade goes back inside to hide in the shadows. Yes, because the fade recognizes what's in Matt and is like, oh, shit, I'm getting out, hmm. getting the fuck back. Yeah. That was the, the story that they were setting up for us, I, Seems I right. think. Yeah. Yeah. But a little bit of a, you know, misdirection because, you know, Matt yeah. was coming from the outside. Because we don't join the scene until yeah. everybody's all together in the cabin. Right. Yeah. So, and Matt doesn't know if he did it or not. Yeah. Yeah. And so we are, we are, the, we are the same as Matt in that, in that instance. Right. But that really messes Matt up that, you know, the little girl. That he doesn't know. Yeah, that he doesn't know he, doesn't and he know may have killed sure. a little girl. And that is his worst nightmare. So then the, the fade comes out of the shadows and, and comes straight at Tom, which I think speaks to the fade deciding where the true danger in the room lie. Mm-hmm. Tom does not fight like a traveling musician. <laughs> he obviously knows what he's doing, and he's obviously not afraid of the fade either. Which, and you um, brought it up last time. Fades represent like absolute terror. Yeah, yeah. yeah the 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 gaze of the eyeless is fear. But because he's a warder, he knows how to do. <laughs> well, we already knew it wasn't his first rodeo yeah. with the fade. That's true. So he's. He's gotten in some scraps. <laughs> is he a warder or is he a green lantern? He's a lantern if of he, many colors it, based on that coat. Yeah, that's true. And if he had a if he actually had a lantern, there'd be no shadows. Uh-huh. No place for the fade to hide. So uh-huh. Yeah, can you Broad hold daylight. back a hide can you hold back a um a fade with light? They they did in the castle. Mm-hmm. They were like light all the lanterns so that the fades can't get yeah. in. Yeah, I mean they can't. They, yeah, they, well you need a you need deep shadow for the fade to to be able to emerge from. So as, if there is no deep shadow, there's no place for a fade to to come from. I mean, except for over the walls, which you know you're going to see them coming that way. So it's not so much that they can't travel any other way. It's yeah, just they, they the can't. They can't are, use uh, their like special a, quick travel. Quick travel. Uh, like, I'm assuming they can still walk in darkness. Matt sees Helga on their way out, and and you can see the look on his face. And and uh, Matt drops the Brigitte doll as as they're escaping. Um, any more thoughts about this scene? Did did we cover everything? I think. I think so. Okay. Um. So then we're back at camp, and uh, Leandrin uh, tries to get. Uh, Karene onto her plan to, uh, oops, uh, he got loose. We'll, we'll have to gentle him. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit of foreshadowing and, there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, and then uh, Nynaeve corners Lan, um, asks him what he's doing, and Lan says he's pouring one out for his dead homies. Um, and and she's she's like, oh, I didn't realize you had culture. You, I thought you were just a, a rock. And then she tells him a bit of her culture with the the benediction that she says while kissing the ground. And he t- explains to her that that's what the last king of Minethrin said to his wife before that battle that they knew that they would lose. That was the great story of Minethrin. Um, which she takes as a f- type of flirting. And uh, <laughs> they, they kind of get 
it, it, it's kind of that scene where they almost, 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 almost <laughs> lean into kiss. And then, you know, the, the comic relief shows up and interrupts them at the last moment, uh, because the wards go off. That's when everything goes to shit. Logan's army attacks. Um, what do we think about this scene leading up to the army attacking? So I know there's some question about Nynaeve's history. Um, Moraine says she was brought to the Three Rivers as a baby, that she's not from there. Two Rivers, sorry. <laughs> that she's not from there, but that she she's brought in as a baby. But the, um, the little um, speech that Nynaeve recites that Lan gives her the translation for is from Two Rivers. It's from Manethrin. So it's almost like her parents were from there but had her somewhere else and then she was brought back like it kind of makes me curious about what her full story is well that also could be something that she learned in her training to be uh to be wisdom as well doesn't she specifically say her parents used to say it yeah she oh, says yeah, yeah. this is the last thing my parents said to uh, me and so okay. i was like I well that. wait so you weren't a baby you remember this so unless somebody who was there with you hiding told you but I didn't get that impression. I got the impression that this was firsthand knowledge and she clung to it. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, both, I guess both ways could be true. It just depends on how you look at it. But we're going to find yeah. out she's like royal blood or something like yeah. that. And that she's a direct no, descendant of the woman regular. who like blasted all the Trollocs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say, you know, Lance looked surprised and said, I didn't realize you spoke the old tongue. So I don't think that Lan necessarily recognized that it was a benediction common to the two rivers. I think he just was able to translate the old tongue because, you know, being of royal blood himself, he probably learned some old tongue growing up and a lot of history. So he probably knew that that was the last, you know, that, that probably was written in the history books as the last thing that the last king of Manethra. Now, said, wasn't you know. there wasn't there a, com a comment early in earlier in the episode where they're talking to Nynaeve and saying, "I can't quite place your accent." Is that who was that? Who was that talking? That was Leandrin. Oh, Leandrin, yeah, trying to yeah weasel her way in. Yeah, so that really brings up that she's got some some backstory that's not she wasn't just a you know two rivers rat. Tom also identified Matt as being from Two Rivers because of his clothes and his accent. Mm -hmm. So I suspect they all sound like bumpkins to everybody else. Yeah. They all sound like they're from, you know, Letterkenny. <laughs> Back to the uh, battle, <laughs> Logan's army attacking. Uh, Alana catches a bunch of arrows that are on, on the incoming and just says, Hey, back to the end of the laneway <laughs> and, uh, into the property. Don't come up the, don't come up the laneway. Uh, and then, uh, Loghain bursts his shield, um, and, and Stepan feels it because, uh, Rene is in there at the time that the shield bursts and he can tell that there's something happening. Yeah. You know, she's, she's obviously panicked about something. Um, so He's like, somebody get to the cave. There's there's things going on and there's mayhem and madness and, and explosions and and Michael Bay and, and <laughs> it was yeah. 
things go kaboom. And then uh, we see Loghain, now that he's free of his shield, just kind of calmly stands up and melts the bars of the cage around him. And uh, Moraine shows up while everybody else is still unconscious, and she's like, oh, good, we can talk alone. And Loghain kind of accepts this like he expected it, almost. Mm-hmm. No, he totally did. He knew one of them was going to come around and poke at him. Yeah, I don't think much surprises Loghain. He seems very contained. It, he really comes across like he was just humoring them by letting them maintain control over him in the first place. Until until the boys like, showed up. Yeah, and he just says, okay, my ride well, is here. <laughs> well, if it is Moraine that, that dropped the whole um, ear shield, the air ear shield, then obviously Loghain would understand that it was Moraine because he could see that Moraine was the one that came into the to the group at that time. So that would explain why he would accept that this is coming. Like, this is a different Aes Sedai that I'm dealing with now. I should expect something different from her. Yeah, I, I actually had just picked up on that as well. I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah, makes sense. So, so somebody wrote in, I think it was Stephen wrote in and said that he read that scene that Moraine was um, just trying to keep him busy, that she was distracting him so he didn't make his mistake, his, sorry, his escape immediately so that well, she was stalling him. Yeah. Um, and watching the scene a second time, I can, I can, I, I, I have come to agree with that interpretation because she starts off by saying, you know, tell me why you think you're the dragon. And then rather than kind of hearing him out for the entire story, she starts arguing with him, like, keep paying attention to me. Like, if I, if I argue with you and dismiss your powers, you're going to keep interacting with me and not paying attention to what's going on around you while the fight's going on. So I can, I'm really I'm really seeing that interpretation now that I'm looking for it. I wonder how much ability he actually would have to overpower just a single Aes Sedai. Like I could I could understand that putting the shield on might take some more more effort than just like battling someone outright. And because Moraine doesn't seem very concerned that she's going to get overpowered and just bowled over by someone that's more powerful and it takes two Aes Sedai to shield. Well, she's a spy. True. I mean, maybe, she, <laughs> maybe she's just so pompous that she thinks that her uh, her talking will will uh, give her an advantage there. But I don't know. Yeah, well, but it's but it's a tactical yeah. decision, right? Like it give, It gives time for everybody else to come to, you know. Yeah, well, we we also know that she secretly has an angry all. Yeah, but she can't use it. We we don't know that she can't use it. We don't know how they're doing it in the show. Uh, because I will fair. tell you, in 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 the actual book, she does have an angry all that she stole from the tower that she can use. Hey, roll tide. Good <laughs> <for her. laughs> I mean, like like. Like, uh, who was it? The Dead Milkman said, take shit from work. No, that was King Missile. (laughs) Yeah, King Missile, yeah. Also, Johnny Cash, one piece at a time. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Yeah. Build your own Tangrel. (laughs) Tangrel. One piece at a time, and it didn't cost me a crown. It doesn't rhyme. Dang it, no. I'm sorry. No. 
I, it, honestly, I think in that scene, um, where rain really did want to just double check to make sure. And I think his immediate response of, I am meant to be, I am the all monologue in other words. Y- y- yeah. It's like, as, yeah. as soon as he went into a, a supervillain monologue, she was like, Nope, not the guy. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think you're right because I got the sense with her discussion with land that, both of them are kind of getting tired of this whole age thing, like being born at that moment when the prophecy came. And I think they're kind of trying or starting to believe that that may or may not be a major determining factor. Yeah. They're like, well, maybe, maybe her, her timing was off. Maybe, you know, maybe she didn't have the prophecy right when it happened. Maybe it was, you know, it took time for the prophecy to get there. You know, Travel what, distance. Do, yeah. do prophecies travel at the same speed as a couple of sparrows carry a coconut? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unmade in European or yeah. Of course, uh, Karene and Leandrin wake up, and uh, they all together try to shield him again. And Logain does something. Take some of the leftovers from his cage, I think. Oh, is that what? what I okay, mm-hmm. that, yeah, that does make sense. Okay, yep, yep. Um, yeah, yeah. Actually, that does make a lot of sense now. That I, thank you for clearing that up. I'd always wondered what that magic black spike thing was supposed <laughs> to be. Um, it was a piece of iron, is what it was. Yeah, and uh, chucks it at the, at the Aes Sedai, and of course, uh, Karene sees it coming and defends the other two, but fails to defend herself. Um. And Stepin outside looks immediately dumbstruck. That look on his face, I think he portrayed that beautifully. Like, now that you have seen the entire season and understand the weight of what happened right there. Like, could you imagine being in his position at that moment in time? Right. And then having to make a split second decision whether or not to survive himself. Because I saw that too. Where like, yeah. obviously he's in shock. He is absolutely still. Overcome by and grief. Then, yeah. Yes, instantly he, he just sick in every way that the word can be used here. And like, knowing what we know now about Stepin and Krenny, it's like, he literally had to decide on the spot. Do I let this guy kill me or, you know, do, you know, do I keep fighting? I um read that reaction to defend himself is like pure instinct. Yeah. He'd been training to fight for so long that he reacted purely by reflex. I think if he'd actually had time to think about it, he might have might have chosen differently. He was definitely disassociated. Yeah. To me, it's just absolute revenge or lashing out of you did this to this person that means so much to me. Now I'm going to cause I, pain. But. I think uh, you're talking about the moment when he throws the axes at, oh, yeah, at yeah, the yeah. shield. Yeah. Uh, they're they're actually talking about the exact moment when right, when Karene died and he's still outside. Yeah. There's oh, there's okay. somebody he's coming outside. up to okay, him yeah. attacking him and he's his his, his yeah, his gaze is off in the distance, but he's still blocking the incoming attack somehow at the last moment. Yeah, the camera kind of slows down, and he's standing there among the trees, and you can see him swaying. And then somebody comes up from behind him, and then the, 
camera snaps back to normal speed and he defends himself. Yeah. Yeah. And it really does look like to me it's like a purely physical reflex. Yeah. Yeah, it has to be, right? Your your yeah. brain's out of it at that moment. It's just instinct. Yeah. yeah. And and yeah, then uh the the red lantern ring comes and finds Stepan, <laughs> and uh, he he takes the power of the red lantern ring and uh, goes and tries to use it directly on on Loghain. Uh, the second he walks into the room, he looks and sees Karene's body, and it's all over. It's there's no logical it, it, thought. Instant Anakin and, transition, much faster, yeah. oh, much more yeah. intense. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so, uh, he goes and, and just tries to get at Loghain and, uh, Loghain tries to red wedding the entire show. Right. <laughs> Man, how many other, <laughs> we got Green Lantern, we had Game of Thrones, we got Star Wars. <laughs> Everybody's invited. So that that whole battle scene, I might I might be reading too much into it, but to me the whole battle scene just seemed to get so much more chaotic at the moment of Karine's death. We see a red sister take several arrows, um, and I was actually watching to see if any of the other um, Aes Sedai had been injured. But there's a there's a scene where um, somebody says something about you know eventually they'll come to rescue him or you know his his they they mention his soldiers. I think it's when Leandrin was saying they ran home to the their mothers and Leandrin's like oh we have you know this many full sisters it's not a concern we'll handle it easily but when you actually see the battle it looks like so much more of a struggle and some of the sisters actually get hurt and this all seems to tie in with Karene's death and I'm wondering if do the other Aes Sedai also feel her is that throwing them off their game their game or is it the fact that that Loghain is now free, does his army suddenly become that much more powerful because he's on their side? I felt a sudden disturbance in the force. Yeah, I was going to say that too. <laughs> As if one voice was crying out at once. <laughs> and then silenced. Then was silenced. <laughs> I should have seen that coming. <laughs> I didn't want to. I was I was this close. No, no, that it, it, it does it does hold a, a grain of of sense to it. I I like that. Um, I mean, I would say that maybe being connected through Sidine, you would possibly feel or Sidar, excuse me, uh, you would possibly feel that. Oh, well, you've got not outside. I mean, you know, we're talking metaphysics at this point, so who knows? You know, both, yeah, right. both of Alana's warders are out there, uh, helping defend, and presumably because she's unconscious, they're they're feeling that as well. So they're probably not fighting as efficiently. Alana was out in the battle. Oh, that's right. Alana yeah. was in the battle. Right. She's out with and that it, that big hero pose with. <laughs> with him at her feet while she you, makes the forest explode. Yeah, she was like, "Michael Bay, eat your heart out." <laughs> <laughs> You did mention that they can sense each other to a certain extent, so there maybe there's an extension to that where they can kind of feel yeah. when something happens. If a woman is channeling nearby, they can feel that, and they would also feel if that suddenly turned off. Stopped, yeah. Yeah, so they would probably assume that there's something happening there. Yeah, that I think that's actually probably how the Aes Sedai would notice. They, they suddenly feel that there's one less person channeling nearby. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um we got to the bottom of it. Good, good job, Scooby Gang. 
I will say that seeing the red eyes today go down just to me illustrates the usefulness of having a warder yes. covering your ass <laughs> yeah. while you're yeah. while you're throwing the bombs around. And, well, immediately, um, what a green eyes today came over and started, you know, started healing. Picked her up, yeah. yeah. And then uh, Nynaeve comes running into the cave, um, and of course sees. Logan trying to do a red wedding moment and she's like nope not in this property buddy not happening <laughs> yeah we're we're not george rr R. tolkien over here we're not doing that sorry <laughs> so uh she discovers quite suddenly that she is very able to channel um and so does everybody else i'm gonna say now that she unleashes the healing dreads <laughs> yes <laughs> and Logan looks like you know he saw God. It's, you know it was he got front row seats at the Beyonce concert. Like that's what he looks like. <laughs> it was almost like Moraine knew exactly what to tell him to have him just be silenced in that moment. I, I don't know that it would have had as much power on him if not for the 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 drop of water to the flood speech that he gets from Moraine the, earlier the on. Brick to the raging sun. Yeah. Yeah. But men aren't supposed to be able to see women channel. I mean, he obviously saw like the physical effects of what she was doing. Right. I I would say he probably didn't see the light per se necessarily, because um, I think that was the actual physical manifestation of Sidar. I think that was just for our benefit. But you know, he would see everybody that he just shanked get healed at the same time and that many weaves simultaneously alone is is something to be in awe of he does shield his eyes though oh you did say that's a book canon right so it's possible that at this point in the but, show they're but earlier in the can... same episode they did mention that they cannot see his weaves yeah because and that's what makes it more difficult to shield him because they're shielding something they can't see right there's something unique about Loghain. I mean, apart from his strength, when we see his weeds, oh. we see the mix of black and white. Mm -hmm. Oh. There's something about that's him that's true. unusual. Loghain can see Taviran. Uh -huh. This, this oh. is actually something from the books. Loghain can see Taviran. And this was Nynaeve revealing herself as Taviran. That would do it. That would make sense. And he loves it. He loves what he because remember, when we see Loghain later on in Tarvalon, he immediately looks up at the at the balcony with Matt and Rand. One of the other possibilities we hadn't considered is that Nynaeve manifests the manifests like physical form in when she's healing. Also, uh, because of her connection to nature, yeah. it's possible that she manifests light while she's healing. She as heals well. so hard it glows. Yeah, yeah. exactly. She's like got so much extra energy that she's like, you know what? I'm going to heal this and give you a light show. It's like a, it's like a neon light, right? I'm going to heal you with style. <laughs> well, we know she's she's not trained, so I mean, if she's throwing out energy, it could be doing any number of wild things. Yeah. Yep. She actually know what she's doing. Yeah. Well, I mean, clearly, since you know she's the intent is clearly that she wants to heal Lan because you know, oh my God, I just fell in love with this guy and and he just got his throat slit. Yeah, and she unconsciously throws a healing weave at him so hard that it, that splash damage happens and heals everybody else around them. You know, is that damage? I mean, or... that, yeah. Well, <laughs> splash healage, I guess. <laughs> but you know, I mean, that's that's definitely a, a, a not contained, not focused weave happening right there. Right. Yeah. So, um, plan of attack just. Um, 
wrote in the comments, Rafe said it was the dust and the wind that Loghain was raising his hand against. Ah. So as she's throwing out all this healing energy, she's also raising wind. She's also like causing, a causing all these physical effects. So that's true. That's what true. she's doing is visible, even if you can't see the energy itself. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. And well, light, light is also so part there of you that. Go. So, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. All right. Could well, be. we got to the bottom of that. Good job, Scooby Gang. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, and that, I mean, he, she even, Rafe she would even have gotten he... away with it if it weren't for those meddling kids. <laughs> <laughs> the only problem is we have too much of us. Too many of us look like Shaggy. We don't have any Freds here today. <laughs> no. I think that brings us to the end of our episode. Any more uh, loose change, uh, random thoughts about anything that that, uh, we didn't cover? Nynaeve's oh shit face at the very end. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Marvelous. Well, I guess I better follow Moraine now. Dang it. (laughs) Yeah, my last note was about how, you know, they spent so much time in this episode and the ones before it about gentling men and the ethics of that and when and where you do it and with whose permission and going you know behind people's backs and then like one moment of grief one person is taken out and suddenly there's no question everyone's in sync you know whether it's grief or anything else it's like yes we have to get rid of this guy and i was just really struck by one i guess that unity and you know that singleness of purpose Mm -hmm. um and just also how, I guess, in a like, if you are already hostile and different or suspicious of Aes Sedai and the White Tower, like, it's like, see, no matter how, what kind of pretty words they tell you, no matter what, you know, what they say that they can and cannot do and about boundaries and bindings, like, when push comes to shove, they're all going to act exactly like this. They're not going to care about you. They're just going to, you know, fall into rank with each other and do what they ha- want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, that this was like the clearest instance for me so far yeah. of that. A cap. I had yeah. to say it. I actually wasn't here. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it, it, it. you could say, oh, they were all upset, but not one person. And there were a lot of Aes Sedai in that room was like, hey guys maybe we shouldn't (laughs) no leandro was like let's go girls and they're like hell yeah i i think there's also probably a chain of command situation happening here because it was it was karene that died Mm -hmm. and she we now know that she was a sitter for the greens and the greens are the battle aja so You know, they're in the middle of a battle. She's clearly the the person in charge. Yeah. She's now dead. She's the the five-star general. general gets taken out. You know. Yeah, she gets taken out. Chain of command. I think the yeah. next person in charge is probably going to be Leandrin because she's the head of the, the Red Aja in that camp, and they're dealing with a guy who can channel. Mm-hmm. So, of course, she's probably going to be the next person to take charge, and her instruction is take this guy out. So, of course, you know... That's the battlefield command. And everybody falls in line with it partially because they saw exactly how dangerous he was. And it's like, yeah. we have no other option. Yeah. And they also knew there was an army coming up from behind them right. while they were busy dealing yeah. with this in the cave. And, and you know, if we just try to, to shield him and hold him here, then we're going to be down our two strongest eyes to die while we're still trying to fight off his army. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
Yeah, I get the feeling that red or green is going to be the leadership in the field pretty much no matter what. Like, blue's probably never going to, and you're not often going to see gray out in the field, and yellow is going to be worried about other yeah, things. Yeah, yellow's going to be triage. They're yeah. field hospitals. So really, really green and red are pretty much your only options for the for the leadership when you're out in the field in a, in a wartime situation. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's the behind-the-scenes stuff where blue would be, like, sort of putting things yeah. together, you know. You're, well, you're... well, I would say there, there are times when the CIA operative takes over Battlefield <laughs> Command when things go really sideways, but if, if the CIA operative is taking command, then things have gone really sideways. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, like, I, was, hey. I was thinking Bay of Pigs when putting that together. So, I was like, yeah, that's pretty, <laughs> much, pretty much what happened. I would think even if you had, like, a sitter in blue or yellow there, in addition, that it would still be Leandrin taking over. But I don't yeah, know. Yeah, even if you had oh, yeah, another yeah. sitter present, they would probably d- defer to Leandrin as, you know, that's kind of part of her job. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, they once they get back to the tower in the next episode, they even testify we had to do it because yeah. he'd already killed one sister. Yep. And it would have just been a matter of time before he took the rest of us out. And with that, I think uh, we can call this one an episode. Oh boy, was that an episode! <laughs> we 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 didn't even try to to start on the rails on this one. I think. But it was fun nonetheless. Uh, anyway, we want to say thank you, as always, to Michael and Jen out at the Secret Watch Party Island headquarters. Thank you so much, Michael and Jen. Thank you, Michael and thank Jen. Thank you, Michael and Jen. And, of course, check out all of our other wonderful Watch Party podcasts. There's Watch Party Lord of the Rings hosted by Michael and Jen. Watch Party of Ice and Fire doing the uh, works of George R.R. R. Martin. And coming soon, Watch Party Verse. I think we might be going with. Um, that, I, I think that, I think that might be where we land. Uh, yeah. Watch party guy verse. We're going to be covering, uh, um, what the hell is it? We're going to be covering good omens season one. <laughs> yes. As soon as we are finished with this recap of wheel of time season one. So look forward to that over on watch party guy verse. I think Kaiman verse. We're still workshopping the names. We'll we'll land on one here eventually. Suggestions are welcome. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> <Out> here, <laughs> uh, help us out here. <laughs> and of course, final question for our panel. This one sent in by Jay, watching us uh, live in the chat. Jay wants to know if uh, you could bring one item with you into the Wheel of Time universe. What is it? GPS. <laughs> but how would that work in those horrible... I was about yeah. to say, that means somebody else needs to bring a satellite for you. <laughs> well, it's magic. Well, I, I, Come on. <laughs> I think by saying GPS, she, that that's global positioning system. So that's the entire system. So, you know, that's the satellites and everything. Fair. <laughs> yeah, true. True. I should be a lawyer. <laughs> no, I shouldn't. No, I shouldn't. No, no, no I shouldn't. No. I, I wouldn't hire you. Sorry. <laughs> oh, wow. Sorry, bud. <laughs> no, but my son was asking me earlier, like, if any, if, if you could hire any uh, fictional lawyer, who would you hire? And I'm instantly, you know, Perry Mason. Perry Mason won everything but one friggin' case. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, just like Matt Murdock, cool shit, whatever. 
No, I want to win. Yeah. <laughs> so, sorry, sorry, bud. <laughs> <laughs> no, if I was going to take something in there, I would have to say is like a really powerful flashlight because I don't want to have any fades sneaking up on me. <laughs> Just... Good answer. Light everything all the time. It's like you got nowhere to go. Just, just like a 360 LED setup. Yeah. But there you yeah. go. So Greg wants a ring light so he can look nice for the fades. <laughs> I don't want to look nice for the fades. I want to look for fades. Or keep them uh, away. Oh, fade hunter. Fade hunter. No. I'm a coward. It would be fade. Keep away here. Keep away here. <laughs> just saying some garlic. He'll be fine. <laughs> just give me a nice side by side. I don't know, riding around on horses, just <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Very hard on the buttocks, horses. Do, are you going to bring an oil refinery with that? I might have to. <laughs> <laughs> Portable oil refinery. Yeah. There's your perpetual motion or machine right there. Electric version with a uh, solar generator. There you go. Get one that works on biodiesel. That'll work too. Yeah. 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 Then just, you know, go go down to the old rendering farm and fill up. <laughs> I need some fat tello, guys. Bring it over. <laughs> Why doesn't the Wheel of Time universe have bicycles? You would think. You would think. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, how long did it take us to come up with bicycles? That's fair, too. Yeah, yeah, until no, the 1700s. That's, that's true. That's true. Gotta have an I mean, especially a, an articulated bicycle with, like, gearing and everything. Like, that wasn't until the late 1800s, so. Yeah, it's that's true. It is the wheel of time, not the gears of time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Wheels are things, sprockets, not so much. Let's see. So, I'm thinking long and hard about this because I'm very, I'm very bougie. Like if I if I can't bring it or it's not there, I simply won't go. So I'm like, okay, this world definitely has like lotion and coconut oil and shampoo. So that leaves my satin night scarf because like somebody's there who somebody's gonna be in this world who can do my hair. Great, that's fine. But I, I have to I have to make sure that I can sleep at night comfortably. And that means I have to wrap my hair. I need a satin scarf. That's what I'm bringing. Everything else, I'll, I'll buy it when I'm there. It's fine. No worries. But my hair. The leather studded version doesn't work for you. Yeah, no. <laughs> I don't worry about anything else. There's plenty of books to keep me entertained. You know, socks. I, I'm sure I, somebody will provide me with socks. It's it's okay. <laughs> okay, I think we're, I'm just gonna exit it on that. That's a great exit. You have to give your answer though. Oh, do I have to give an answer? Yeah, um, of course. Otherwise, you're letting Jay down. Can't have that. <laughs> I would say I'd take a lightsaber, but there aren't real lightsabers in in our real world, so that I would have to take one of my fake lightsabers, and that would just not do anything for me. Um, huh. What would I take? Well, the sound is comforting, at least. No. <laughs> Check out this turongri all I've got. <laughs> is that all it does? Is make noises light up? 
<laughs> it was obviously for some kind of entertainment purposes. <laughs> I think it may have been a musical instrument. Listen. <laughs> An archaeologist goes to Disney World in, in, in thousand years. <laughs> Ha 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 ha!